Welcome to Encouraging Words, the podcast of Rest for Today Ministry. Thank you for joining us today. I'm your host and Bible teacher, Dr. Ken Williams. At Rest for Today, our goal is to lead you closer to Christ by teaching the Word of God in order to educate, encourage, edify, equip, and empower you to become all that God created you to be. We want to help you find your purpose, place, passion, and peace so that you can perform at your peak ability and glorify God in the process. Life is meant to be more than the rat race that so many of us find ourselves in today. Life is meant to be lived with joy, enthusiasm, and victory. Today's message is about spicy Christians, those who are salt and light to the world around them. Jesus said, you are salt and light. So it's not a matter of becoming salt and light. It's a matter of how salty you are and how brightly you burn. Let's find out what Jesus has to say. Grab your Bible and turn to Matthew chapter 5. Here we go. But we're in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15, and Jesus is talking to the disciples. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and if you ever just want to immerse yourself in the Scripture, start in Matthew chapter 5 and read and just let the Lord speak to you as Jesus spoke to the people. Let me just read Matthew five thirteen through 15. This is from the NIV. <clears throat> you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people put a lamp, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt and light. Jesus uses two analogies for the Christian faith or for the Christian walk. Two analogies of the Christian life in the world around it. He told the disciples, you are the salt of the earth. The first analogy he uses is that of salt. The life of a Christian is to be like salt. And we are all familiar with salt. Salt is a preservative. Without refrigeration and such, in Jesus' time and, and up until refrigeration, salt was, was used to keep meat from spoiling, and it's used today as a preservative. Salt is used as a preservative to keep things from, from going bad. Salt is also a spice. Adds flavor to food, making things just taste better. Everybody's familiar with salt as a spice. It's on every kitchen table and every restaurant. And salt is a conductor of electricity. For your body, if you don't have enough salt in your body, your body cannot conduct the electricity that it needs and you die. If your salt level goes down too low and you don't replenish it, you'll die. And the last one, and, and not the least, the salt causes thirst. That's why they put pretzels out in the the bars and salty snacks. So the more that you eat, the more that you drink. Salt causes thirst. Salt is a very important substance, and without life, quite frankly, without it, life, quite frankly, can't exist. We need salt. Jesus says that Christians are supposed to be like salt. Christians are supposed to be a preservative, keeping the world from rotting with the evil that fills it. 
Can you imagine a world without the influence of Christianity? Can you imagine the, the world without the influence of the scriptures, without the influence of, of holiness and purity and righteousness? What kind of chaos that we would live under? You can get a glimpse of it by looking at different countries that live without the gospel. And those countries are more evil, quite frankly, than other countries that have the influence of the gospel. We're here in part. Christ has left us here as a preservative to keep this world from rotting away with evil until such time that God is through with this world. So as Christians, we're supposed to be preservatives. And as Christians, we're supposed to be a spice, keeping the world and its conscience from becoming dull with sin and evil. And Christians are conductors. We bring the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ from heaven to men. We're the conductors of life to a dying world. And Christians are supposed to cause thirst. The way a Christian lives his or her life, holy unto the Lord Jesus Christ, actually does cause thirst in other people. Not everybody. Some people, that kind of lifestyle causes them to become angry. But in many instances, your life, if you're living it according to the scriptures, if you're living a holy and pure life to, to the Lord Jesus Christ as a, as a sacrifice to him and honoring him, you will cause other people to be thirsty for what you have. Because when you live in this life, you go through tough times. Tough times are everywhere. And when your friends and family and co-workers know that you're going through a tough time, yet they can see how you carry yourself no matter what's coming at you, they wonder. Maybe they're not coming to you and asking you what's going on in your life and, and what is it about you that, that, that keeps you from dissolving under all the pressure. But they know. They can sense it and they can tell. So as Christians, we're supposed to cause thirst in the world. The salt of a Christian life is important to the world. And quite frankly, I don't think this world can survive without the influence of the Christian life. And then... Later in verse 13, Jesus says, But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything, except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Well, pure salt really can't lose its saltiness. What Jesus is talking about is contamination. Contaminated salt is really good for very little. The salt of the Dead Sea is contaminated, so to speak, with gypsum and other minerals. It's not fit for consumption. You can't go down to the salt sea and grab up a bunch of that gray salt and take it home and put it on your kitchen table and put it on your food and enjoy it because it's not going to taste good. But that kind of salt was used in Jesus' day to throw down on footpaths to keep the vegetation from growing up. So it was thrown out to be trampled underfoot, and that's the illustration that Jesus was losing. If your salt is contaminated, it's, it's not good for anything. It's useless as a preservative. It's not good for consumption. It's only good for being thrown out and being trampled. Just like contaminated salt is useless for its intended purpose, a contaminated Christian, a, a Christian life that's contaminated by the world is also useless for its intended purposes. Is it possible for someone to be a Christian to understand the gospel and receive Jesus as Lord and Savior and start out gung-ho and living a pure and holy and righteous life, yet little by little they kind of walk up to the fence and 
look over the fence and put one foot over the fence and having fun with one foot on one side and one foot on the other and then maybe accidentally fall off the fence onto the other side and kind of become worldly? Is that possible? I think so, or we wouldn't have the book of First and Second Corinthians. Corinthian people were believers in Jesus Christ, and Paul wrote to them and told them what for. This is not how to live the Christian life. You're not being an influence in the world. In essence, is what Paul told the Corinthians. You got to shape up. You got to live for Christ. We have a job to do, and we need to show the world Jesus Christ. And we can't do it if we're living like the world. A Christian who becomes like the world cannot be the salt that God intends for that Christian life to be. In James chapter 4, verse 4, we're told, You adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God, and anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God? Do you want to make yourself an enemy of God, really, by becoming friendly with the world? Let me make a, a disclaimer here. Jesus is not saying... Don't have friends in the world. We're supposed to have friends in the world. Those are the people we're supposed to influence. But don't become friends of the worldly system and the sinful system that is rampant around us. Don't get in bed with the world because then you are going to become like the world and become and look just like them and smell like them and act like them and you're not going to be able to be used by Christ. A Christian contaminated with the world is kind of in a difficult position if you are of the world the world loves you if you are of christ christ loves you and you're walking with him and he's with you but if you're a christian that's trying to love the world the world doesn't love you and god's trying to discipline you that's not a good place to be you don't want to be a christian in the world being like the world you have no power to overcome what comes your way if you want to be a christian and claim the name of christ and live like the world when the world rolls over on you you don't have any help because they're not going to get off and christ is going to let you stay there in essence until you learn your lesson in order to be effective for god we must keep ourselves pure and uncontaminated by the world where do we get that well how about romans chapter 12 verses 1 through 2 therefore i urge you brothers in view of god's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to god this is your spiritual act of worship in the new king james it says you're reasonable your reasonable act of worship and I kind of like that translation better because in light of what God has done for us it's reasonable that we surrender to him it's our reasonable service to him to offer our lives to him it says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will and then James chapter 1 verse 27 we're told that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Pure religion in God's eyes is sacrificial love, helping those who, who can't help themselves, and keeping yourself pure and unspotted and unpolluted from the world. 
a righteous and holy walk with the Lord to the best of our ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to live pure and holy lives as we are told to be holy as he is holy and to offer your love to people when they're in need. We're called to be pure salt. We are not called to be mineral salt. So if you examine your life today and you let the Holy Spirit examine your life today and you find that maybe, maybe your life has become more like mineral salt than pure salt, it's time to sit before the Lord and tell him that you're sorry for that, that you want him to come and clean out the impurities and to wash you afresh and new with the blood of Christ and fill you with his Holy Spirit that you may become pure salt and then keep yourself clean through repentance each and every day. There's none of us in this building that don't sin during the day. But those of us that sin and don't repent, it makes us mineral salt. The second analogy Jesus uses is light. He says in verses 14 through 15 in Matthew chapter 5, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, and neither do people light a lamp and put put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The life of a Christian is supposed to be like salt, number one, Jesus said, and also supposed to be like light. Darkness is the absence of light, or the absence of light is darkness. If you turn out the light, you have darkness. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, and God said, let there be light. And there was light. The world needs light to keep it out of darkness. Right? As the sun revolves, as, as the sun revolves around the earth, yeah, sure. As the earth revolves around the sun and, and the earth itself revolves, we have our seasons and we have our nighttime and daytime as the earth spins around its axis. And when we're turned away from the sun, it gets dark. The light's gone, the light's turned out. So darkness is the absence of light. And this world needs light in a spiritual sense. Proverbs 4.19 says, But the way of the world is like a deep darkness. They do not know what makes them stumble. People who don't know Christ, and I've been there, we've all been there at some point. You walk around in a spiritual darkness and you stumble around in this world and you don't really even know that you're stumbling. And if you do recognize you're stumbling, you don't know why. It's because you don't have the light of your creator living within you. Spiritual darkness is the absence of the life of Christ. Jesus came to be that light. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the light that lights the way, that shows people to sin. You turn on the light and all of a sudden you can see all the dirt in your house. I've lived in some houses When it's dark, the critters come out to play. And as soon as you go in the kitchen and turn on the light, they scurry away because they don't like the light. It's the same with sin and with the world. You turn the light of Jesus Christ on and people don't like it because it shows them who they are. Jesus came to illuminate darkness and sin and show the way to eternal life. John writes in chapter 1 of the Gospel of John, in him, speaking of Christ, was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. 
He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all men might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, the true light that gives light to every man coming into the world. And as Jesus said of himself, he says, I, I am the light of the world and whoever comes to me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus came as light to a lost and, and dying and dark world and he was hated by his own creation. He created the world. He created every man and woman in it and he came to this world and the world hated him. This is the verdict. The light has come into the world but men love darkness instead of the light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. We're called to be light. We're called to let the light of Christ live in us in such a way that it shines out into the darkness around us, that it exposes sin, exposes Satan, exposes evil. We are called to live bold, uncompromising lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's our reasonable service. Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy and told him, Do not be ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed of me, his prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life. Not because of anything we have done, but because of his own, personal, because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Jesus Christ before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel we are to let the light of jesus christ burn so brightly in our lives that like a city that's set on a hillside we become a beacon of light that cannot be missed like like a lighthouse sits on the shore of the sea and shines the light out for the ships to guide them into safe harbor like the flashlight that you use to go outside at night to do whatever you need to do in the dark, like the light you turn on in your house. We're to be turned on for Jesus Christ so that we shine the gospel. We need to illuminate the dark corners of the sin and the world in which the Lord has placed us. We all have our own spheres of influence and we need to shine. We're to burn brightly for Christ so the world can see the good works of God and give him the praise and the glory. We shine brightly for Christ, but we don't take credit for any of that, or at least we shouldn't, because it's all of God. It's all the Holy Spirit. Any good thing that we can do in this world, Jesus gets the credit. As we talk about being salty, causing thirst, preserving the world, being a conductor of the gospel, as we talk about being light, by being pure and holy and letting the Lord Jesus Christ shine through us in such a way that we, that we cause people to want what we have. There's a flip side to that coin. I've kind of mentioned it briefly. We don't belong to this world. And because we belong to Christ, the world hates us because it hates Jesus. So when you make a commitment to come to Jesus Christ, it's not only a commitment to all of the blessings that he's going to bring, but it's also a commitment to all of the evil that the world is going to throw at you. 
Just as people hated Jesus for exposing the darkness of their sin, you're also going to be hated. John chapter 15, starting in verse 18, Jesus told the disciples, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. But I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. The world hates Jesus. But does that give us an excuse to go before the Lord and tell him, you know, Lord, it's really hard out there. I try to live a pure and holy life before my friends and family and co-workers, and, and they just treat me wrong. I don't get promoted at work. Matter of fact, I get blamed for all the wrong that goes on down there, and I keep the place running. Lord, my family doesn't invite me to parties anymore, and you know, I, don't, I just don't get to fellowship with them much. They just, they just don't like me. So, Lord, you know, in view of all that, can I just kind of hang out in the back and maybe somebody else can do a better job than I can? I don't think that's a reasonable request to make of the Lord because he's going to point you to Jesus who was nailed to a cross. I don't think there's any pain or, or suffering that can be done that would top that one. And certainly there was no one more blameless and more sinless and more pure and honest and holy and righteous than Jesus. And he came that, that he might be the light of the world. And he knew that when he came that the people were going to ignore him and treat him spitefully. And he knew that he was going to be tortured and, and die a, a horrible death on the cross. And the Bible says that he came, did it anyway, and joyfully went to the cross knowing what it would purchase. So I don't think we really have any excuses to bring before the Lord and say, you know, that whole salt and light thing. I, I like being a Christian, and I like singing worship songs at church, and I don't mind helping out at church and, and feeding the poor, you know, handing out food. And, and I've, I'll drive my neighbor to the grocery store every now and then when she can't get there, but this whole light and salt thing, I don't know, Lord, that sounds pretty hard. I'm just saying all that to say I know <clears throat> we don't have an excuse before the Lord. We are called to be salt. And we are called to be light. It's not a choice. It really isn't a choice. Jesus said to the disciples, you are salt. You are light. It's not a matter of becoming salt and light. It's a matter of degree. How salty do you want to be? How brightly do you want to burn for Christ? So I think Jesus is saying to us today, be salty, burn brightly, and let me use you for my glory. Pray with me if you would. Heavenly Father, your word is filled with all kinds of exciting things and all kinds of encouragement and the Psalms, Lord. That's just medicine to my soul. When I'm down, I can go to the Psalms and I can be lifted up in just a matter of minutes. And we love your word, Father, for all of the great encouragement that it brings us. But your word also has some hard sayings. As a matter of fact, Jesus experienced people walking away from him because they told him his words were too hard. How, how, can, we, how can we do what you say? You're asking too much. Jesus asked his disciples if they were going to go away too. And they said, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life. And Father, that's what we say to you this morning. Even though you tell us the hard things to do, Lord, where can we go? You have the words of life.
You spoke those words into our hearts when we received Christ as Lord and Savior, and, and we surrender to you, Lord. We don't belong to ourselves. We were bought with a price, the Bible says, an awful, expensive price, not with money or gold or anything like that, Lord, but with the precious blood of your Son. And now, Lord, we belong to you. We're yours. And we need to surrender ourselves to you, which is our reasonable service. And I know, Lord, it's hard. I know, Lord, I've given you those excuses before. But, Father, I pray that you would work in our hearts this morning and on throughout the rest of the week and that you would help us to examine ourselves under the light of the Scripture and under the the direction of the Holy Spirit to see how salty and how bright we really are. If there are changes we need to make, Lord, I ask that you help us to make them. I ask, Lord, that you would place desires in our hearts to be more salty, to be uncontaminated, and to be a pure form of light, the light of the gospel. Father, we know that we're dependent upon you. If you don't help us do these things, we cannot do them. But you have promised that we can do all things through Christ who gives us the strength. You promised to fill us with your Holy Spirit and to go before us and prepare the way and to be with us, Lord, even to the end of the age. So you're there. It's not by our might, but it's by your Holy Spirit. It's not by horse or, or chariot. It's by your power, Lord. It's not by our own tools or anything of our own making. It's all of you as we surrender to you. So help us, Father. Take these words, Father, and plant them in our hearts and make us different and use us for your glory. And Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning to honor you and worship you in the glorious name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Salt and light. The world needs spicy Christians more today than ever before. So what part do you play? How much spiritual thirst do you create? And how brightly do you shine for the gospel of Christ? Good questions to ask the Lord as you spend time in prayer. I pray that you found this message helpful today. If you did, as always, please tell your friends how they can listen. If you'd like more information about the ministry, visit us at restfortoday.com. To contact us, send us an email to restfortoday at gmail.com. We'd be happy to hear from you. Thank you for listening. I'm Dr. Ken Williams. Until next time, may God richly bless you and give you rest for today.